Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mini Voices podcast. I am here with Laura Rouse, and she is a independent author from where did you say you were from? Newburn in North Carolina. So she is a fairly local artist to the podcast, also a local uh, North Carolina author right here. And um, she has published, I would say, four books. Yeah, four books. (laughs) So I'm very happy to have you here on the podcast. And I think. I'm happy to be here. I think my biggest question is, do you think that authors are affected by the areas in which they live? Yes, I'm pretty sure that that must be the case. Um, You know, it, it shapes who we are and we draw our experiences from that and our, you know, our personalities from that. You know, I suppose people who have lived you know the more places you've lived maybe that you know you pick up things from everywhere that you've lived you know and then that make that also makes you a unique person that goes into your writing your experiences and your personality and and everything now do any of your stories take place in your hometown specifically yes i wrote i didn't officially published these they are on my website i wrote two novel length stories that one was set in my hometown in newburn and one was set in linville in the mountains because i visited there twice and i loved it and i wanted to set a story there now i've been to linville but i don't think i've ever been to newburn yeah it's mainly known for being historic you know, there's a lot of old homes, and the downtown area is full of all these really neat old businesses. It's also the birthplace of Pepsi. They've got this really neat place down there where you can still get Pepsi in glass bottles, and they, you know, try to keep it old-fashioned looking. And they sell Pepsi merchandise in a little shop next door to that. But, yeah, that that's their real claim to fame is the historic aspect newburn used to be the capital of north carolina at one point or have i lost my mind pretty sure i remember that correctly uh, and that's they have Tryon palace here for that reason and you know a lot of people want to come see it um they it's really neat in there because they have people dressed up like the actual time period that Tryon palace was active and acting out things and it's fixed up to look like it was supposed to and then they have little tours where you can go see houses that have to do with it in the area it's it's really it's a great place to go walking to just go walking down there and look at all the old buildings now i think if i remember right i saw a couple of your stories that you've published have been inspired by uh some of the stories in the bible Yes. Um, basically, I went through, and I, I had this concept that I feel like we're not just accepted, you know, for making mistakes or different things about our personality that people might see as being shortcomings, that they're, they are part of our message. You know, and it's what we can then give back. You know, it it all serves a purpose. It's not just it's okay, I forgive you. It's it's. I don't know if it's necessarily, and you know, a necessary thing or whatever. But it's it goes into what we can give back out, and serves a purpose. And so I went and looked at all the different Bible stories to go see which ones I felt like reflected that, and made these little plots and these characters and everything to represent what how that was reflected to me and i talk about a lot of controversial topics because well i think we need to go there 
You know, a lot of times with Christianity, they try to make it all pretty, you know, and everything's all perfect and nobody ever does anything wrong. And that's not real life. You know, real life is that people have temptations and they do things wrong. And we're all living with that. We're all living with all this mess of the world. And if we don't talk about that and deal with that and talk about how it actually can make us better people and how we can give back because of that. I think, you know, that we're selling everybody short by not talking about that more. So I go to a lot of dark and messy places in here with my stories to talk about what is real to me and what needs, you know, I feel like needs to have a light shone on it. Now, I think if people believe in the part of Christianity where they try to make things all pretty and perfect, I don't think they've actually read the Bible itself. No, it's very much not like that. I think they just show up for the church and then they don't actually pay attention to anything that's said or read. Yes, I, I wanted to go back and go look at that. I'm sorry to interrupt you. The, Newburn was, it says, the first permanent state capital. And the Triumph Palace was the, it's called the Governor's Palace. <laughs> that was bothering me. I didn't remember that. <laughs> you, learn, you learn something new every day, and sometimes yeah. you have to go back and relearn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we were talking about something. I interrupted it. Um Oh, yes, how they haven't read the Bible. Yes, it's very earthy in talking about a lot of stuff that does, doesn't fit in with conservative Christian talking points nowadays and what that... People are all the time doing stuff wrong in there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's no. part of how... It's, it's part of what they give back. You know, they learn from it and they become different people because of those experiences that they wouldn't be able to do what was good that they did if they hadn't done those things. And that's, um, that's one thing I can say that I like about authors and musicians and stuff that go back to tell a more realistic version of the Bible is it just like the uh, a lot of stuff in America's went through changes based on the biased point of views of whoever got a hold of it at the time. Yeah. And so authors going back and being like, no, you're wrong, and retelling it in a more gripping fashion, I think gets across to people a whole lot better than going to a church and listening to somebody yell at you. <laughs> I would really like to just like get a bunch of people in a room and get them, you know, instead of having a preacher, you know, that they, you know, they tell you what, you know, what they think that you need to hear or whatever, you know, varying different degrees of good or bad that that can be. I think it'd be a whole lot more interesting if we just got a whole bunch of people together and just had them talk about their experiences and how they feel and how they perceive things. Now that's a fantastic idea. I've actually heard, uh, I think it was, I listened to a interview with Stephen King, I think. And he said he owns like every version of the Bible and he likes to go through and read it pay like cover to cover to see the differences between it mm -hmm. and he said that he felt the best way to teach the lessons were to put it in his stories but he also uses it to inspire the situations that his characters get in hmm. I, I, he didn't strike me as a christian man reading his books yeah that's what i was trying to figure out was his <laughs> what he writes <laughs> what kind of angle he's trying to put on that uh, it's an interesting concept anyway but um, he says the scariest things are the ones that are most realistic oh yes I definitely agree with that and that's why you know his writing I, it's very varied and uh, some of it is really good and some of it is really disturbing 
<laughs> but that's why, you know, because it is real. And, and you know, it's not, to very different degrees, and you've used that word a lot, um, it's realistic or merging realistic with things that aren't so much that way, but telling about very human stuff. Yeah, and I mean, after I went through the interview and listened to what he said, I went back through not only his books, but a lot of other authors that I've read. And even with media itself, you can see the influence where authors have read the Bible, been to church, stuff like that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what to do with that. Um, what would you say your favorite thing that you've wrote would be like your personal favorite story that no matter how many you write it's always going to be your child oh gosh that's so hard um for most people it's the first story they ever wrote but it I'm interested. That was a long time ago. <laughs> and a lot of it was fan fiction. I started out started out writing that. Um, I wrote a romantic comedy screenplay in recent times that just the last few years that I don't know, I guess it was very personal. Um, I got very emotionally involved in that. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite, but you know, it strikes a unique emotional chord of my published works. The latest thing that I published called Human Darkness is a caricature poetry book. Is I was really excited about that, and I think it's pretty cool that you know the whole caricature poetry thing because I just did it on the spur of the moment. You know, I just, it started several years ago. I had an idea for a few of them and I, I was calling it the human darkness series and I had it on my website and I'm like, eventually I want to do something with this, but I didn't know what I just, that was all it was for a long time was just a handful of poems. And then I got inspired recently and it's, I just wrote a whole bunch of them and decided, you know, this would make a good book. So, I mean, some of the best things come from the spur of the moment thoughts. Yes. Yeah, because you got to get you got to get fuel going, you know, and whatever it is that gets the fuel, you know, and you haven't thought it out necessarily. You're just winging it and not filtering or getting too planned. Yeah, I think. I think that's the one downfall to a lot of a lot of authors is that they put too much thought into it because to me writing something whether it's inspired by real events or completely fiction requires some f degree of creative writing. Yes. And you the best of I guess, you know, people, depending on what you want to call the best, but if we're going for emotional purposes, is what's real, you know? And if you're just coming up with, you know, you're just going, you know, with your feelings and what you're inspired to write without necessarily filtering it, it you're likely to come up with very real stuff because it's not forced, it's not planned, you haven't done anything except just get your feelings out and I can say that my most recent thing that I've been working on it started out as an idea but it's completely fueled by emotions and it went from like this little short book that I had planned to now it's like targeted like 50 chapters somewhere around there that's great What's it about? Uh, it's about a... What was it? It's... The way I describe it is it's like a... Uh, 
it's a man haunted by a literal demon that's attracted to the traumas and stuff that he's endured. Mm-hmm. And by the by the end of the book, he's either got to learn to find a way to cope with his traumas or lose himself to the darkness that he's created. It's great. I saw on your website that you said that you had originally started writing, was it period or was it a certain book? Because a, a therapist had recommended it for something. I don't want to get too uh, personal. <laughs> um, my first book, uh, Obsidian Fire, was it was started as a thing where my therapist was like, try to find a way to put your feelings and your thoughts onto pages. Mm-hmm. And my therapist is actually probably the most supportive person of my writing career. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> and it just went from one book to two books to a third book. And those were all short stories. And now I'm writing a full-fledged book where the character's uh, mental state is almost a carbon copy of my own. Yeah, I've I've done that. But you know, it goes in. I hope I'm not cutting you off on something. But <laughs> um, some things it it seems like more go into it than others. But it seems like it's broken up in little fragments everywhere. You know, it's like all my writing. Can you still hear me? Yeah. All my writing has you know different aspects of it you know like it's broken up into different things to be in this character and to be in that character and then some things it's like well that's you know pretty much just me you know (laughs) that's exactly you know what i what my problem is i think a long time ago i read something somewhere i for the for the love of my mind i can't remember who it was that said it but we it said that we put a little piece of ourselves in every piece of work that we do, whether it's writing, music, screenplays, movies, or paintings. Yes, I can't imagine how we couldn't do that. You know, even if we were somehow going to try, the very fact that, that we're choosing to write a certain thing is, you know, why do we choose to do that? You know, saying something about us that we chose to write that particular thing. Goodness, I just had a heart attack. <laughs> There's a deer outside of my house, and my dogs have spotted it. Oh my goodness. Oh no. But um, I can tell you that it's hard to do any sort of creative process without putting yourself into it. And the best example I can give is like an actor when they first start out and they pick up like that movie that they really love. Uh, for instance, like Robert Downey Jr. invested a hundred percent of himself into Iron Man. And oh, yeah. if you, if you look into his other works, it's not as good, so to speak, like it's still good, but it's not as good as when he played Tony Stark for the Marvel movies. And that can be translated to, like, especially when an author gets into their older years, like, towards the point of retirement, you can see a more dry transition over to it. Like, when, like, people are getting more themselves? Yeah, like, it's, how do I explain it? It's kind of like when you put yourself into something, it comes out. 200 times better towards something that you're nowhere near interested in yes that's it's true kind of, you know you get the you get the passion in it you know and it is it is going to be better i feel like that sometimes i can tell with acting and with writing i feel like i can tell uh, sometimes what the person was really invested in what they were really enjoying or what they were really feeling because of the end product you know the, you know, their performance is really good, you know, 
is you know particularly good or particularly real if it's an actor or sometimes with writing it's like you know i think they just felt like they need to put that in there you know and they didn't even <laughs> uh, or you know or this is you know this you could tell that this was really what they came here for <laughs> i feel like if they're not invested in their book it may be a work of fiction but i'm going to feel like i'm reading a textbook mm-hmm. if that makes sense oh yeah cuz the lifespan of an author is their ability to think and plan the book off of their creativity. Yes. Like, the way I like to do it is I like to write each chapter like it's its own little story. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's why I tell myself I'm going to write a chapter a day and I'm going to stop. I'm not going to go beyond that. I'm going to stop one chapter each day. Mm-hmm. So that way you don't want to burn yourself out, that's for sure. Yeah, like write a chapter for one day. And when you come in the next day, you're going to feel refreshed. And you're going to be like, how can I make this interesting? And it's going to have its own little story plot, but it's going to line up with the rest of the book. Yes. I don't see how anybody can sit down and write like five chapters in one day. I certainly haven't ever tried. <laughs> I basically get mine done by just filling in where wherever I can. You know, I don't usually have. I have written like that sometimes in the past. You know, I would just sit down like this is my writing session now. and But I'm more likely to get it done every day. If I just, okay, I have a moment, I'm going to go over here and, you know, get yeah. into some writing, you know, and, and just go do it whenever I feel like I can work in some time. Um, I don't know. It might, you know, it might be good for me to get back to, you know, trying to set a certain writing time. For me, I give myself from the time I wake up till three o'clock the next morning to get that chapter finished. Mm. If I don't if I don't get it done by three o'clock, I'm gonna to go to bed feeling like I didn't achieve anything. But I yeah. give myself that time frame and I, I write in blocks. Like I'll write a third of the chapter, I'll stop for like two, three hours, go clean, like do something else to get my mind off of it. Write another third and then do the same thing again and then finish it out. Yeah. Well, what I found, you know, people talk about whether to wait for for them to be fired or not. And depending on the scene and my mood and various different factors, it happens different ways at different times. Like, sometimes I have to be sitting there ready to write for the inspiration to happen. And sometimes I have to step away from it and wait and let the and think about it when I'm not trying to write. It's, it's like, it, I just have to try different things and see what works. Um, like, you know, I'll be sitting there and I'll be trying so hard. I can't think of anything, you know, for, you know, what, I, how I'm going to write this next scene. And then I sit down there and it's like, here it is. You know? <laughs> and then other times it's like, I can sit there with that screen in front of me till, you know, the cows come home as they say. And it doesn't happen until I just step away and think for a while and do other things. I had uh, one chapter in my book. It took me a week to write that chapter. Because every time I sat down, I was like, I have this idea, and then I'd write it out, delete it, and I'd be like, I just can't do it. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, I try to write things, and it's like, I I just have to try it and see whether it works or not. and, you know, what I do sometimes is I'm not really sure what I want to keep. So I'll write one and then I'll write another one. And whichever one I think is, you know, more doubtful, I, like, color it gray, you know. 
<laughs> so it's still there in case I decide I want it or I want to use it for something. It's but, just great. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, all, all my manuscripts have got little gray sections in them. <laughs> like, my whole thing is I write it and I'm just kind of like, I like it, but will other people like it? Yes. And I've got like this. I got like this 15, I've got a 15 page manuscript that I use as a test, or no, it's a 15 chapter manuscript. It's the entire first arc of the story. And I'm like, if people like this part, they will like the rest of the book. Hmm. But if they like it unedited as it is now, I definitely know I can go somewhere with this after I edit it. So you're going to put it out there and see how people feel about it? Like, I've got the 15-chapter manuscript I've sent to, like, I've sent it to, to, like, five people, six people. And it's these six certain people that are on, like, for instance, there's that spectrum of friendship where on one end they're like, I will never, ever hurt this person's feelings. And on the other end of the spectrum, they're just like, screw this guy. And I've sent it I've sent it to people that are all across that spectrum. And I'm like, I just want to see what the results are. That's an interesting idea. And the only, I think the only fix I've had is they're like, the first little bit of the book has too much description in it. Would you care to shorten it? And I'm just kind of like, I'll accept your idea but I'll reject it because that'll make it less like it'll make it less me if I cut down on the descriptions at the certain scenes. Yeah. You've got to consider the stuff and then weigh out, you know, what you feel like is, is the best way to reflect the art, you know, to make the point that you want to make, you know, take what people say into consideration and then, you know, make it, you know, weigh everything out, you know, the, risk versus the need or whatever it is and then you know stand behind your student i think what he said was there's so much description in it that it could be put into a movie and work an entire scene because of the way i set up the paragraphs and i just kind of looked at it and i'm like that's the point Well, you know, I mean, different people like different things. I mean, it is a risk. We're taking a risk whenever we do things like that. But the whole thing is a risk, you know, and it's and it's what you feel like is important to tell your story. And some people, they, you know, they might not want to read a lot of description. And it might be off-putting to them. And then other people might be like, I love this. This is my favorite thing about this. Well, I mean, like... My writing is inspired by like Stephen King, R.L. Stein, uh, Chris D. Lacey, and they're they're like more of a descriptive style of a traditional format. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, I'm not there's really... lots of authors that they they go into a lot of description, and some people you know have very different reactions to that, but. Well, I mean, I looked at, uh, I was texting somebody, and they were like, you put a lot of description in it, but make sure you don't overwhelm it. And I'm like, I put description in it, but I'm not going to be like Stephen King and put so much description in it that you could probably buy that character a bra. There's definitely, my, my feeling on it is what I feel like is inspired. You know, because I don't want to go adding descriptions in there just because I feel like it needs description. But if I'm inspired to say, you know, so-and-so, or I feel like it's important, you know, know, this needs to get said, or they won't know something, then, of course, it needs to be in there. But that's that's my guide, is if I feel like I have to force it, unless it's really, you know, a fact that people need to know that I'm just... Not you know I'm not gonna go there. I'm just gonna go with what I feel like putting in there. Yeah. One thing that I do that people probably aren't gonna like is I don't go into a lot of description of what people look like. In fact, I wrote a story, well, a, a collection of short stories that are well, it's it's in a 
set up a writer short stories. It's the first time I tried to really do that. I mean, you know, I would put sex scenes in other things, but I didn't actually try to go there. But it's the first time I tried to do that. And the only descriptions about what people look like are things like what they've got on or some way that they fix themselves, like a hairstyle or an accessory or something like that. I didn't give, I don't think there's a single description in there that says something about them just physically, you know, just straight physically what they look like. And, you know, a lot of people are probably not going to like that because it's like, we want to know what this person looks like. But I'm taking that risk because I want anybody to read it to be able to picture what they want to picture in there. And like I said, it's, it's taking a risk. People might not like it, but... I can say that I understand that risk, but I think I took a I took a massive leap with my first novel, or not my first novel, but my first uh, short story, because the main character doesn't even have a name, and he's not planned to have a name or any physical description until the end of the series because of the style that I'm writing it in. Because mm-hmm. the entire series is being written like a journal and the first three books are from the perspective of the main character. And then the last half of the series I'm changing main characters and then that's going to be when people start getting physical details about the guy that was at the beginning of the series. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you, you make the choice and you see because people can really enjoy that kind of stuff because it's, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, a bit of a mystery, you know, creative a- aspect that people can really get into. And so if it's important, I definitely say go with it. Now, the book I'm writing now, the main character doesn't have a description either. But a lot of the other characters around him are described. But I think I write it like that because I want the reader to be able to put themselves in the place of the person that the story is about. And... I believe that it may be a risk, but I think that creative freedom may be what keeps the readers reading the story. Well, you know, it's it's like a tool of the trade. You know, it's, I guess it's the best way to put it, it's using our tools to create a certain, to make points, to create atmospheres that you know, that's part of what we're doing, you know, it's making choices to best impact the the reader in a certain way. And, you know, only we can say what we think is the, is the best way to do that. Yeah. Now, I will say that that does, in my opinion, I think it varies depending on what genre you're writing in. Yes, that people are going to expect more of certain things, which is why what I was just talking about is particularly risky. Because <laughs> I'm right now, I consider myself more of a horror author, horror author, but I have written dark fantasy also. Mm. But I believe, in my opinion, I feel like. A fantasy novel, like you need some aspect of your character to go with the type of terrain or something that they're in. But with my horror novels, I've put less description on the main character and more description on the stuff going on around him. Yes, that makes sense. It's kind of, I think it's kind of like the written equivalent of what you call it, like point of view filming in movies where it's you're looking it's filmed like you can't see the main character you're just looking through the person's viewpoint it kind of seems like the written equivalent of that 
Kind of like you slapped a GoPro on your character. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I think the... I think the lack of description is a good thing, though, because it's kind of like the reader can put themselves in the position and actually feel the feelings of the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there isn't anything there to... Yeah, potentially limit that. I think the most description I put on my main character is he's got a limp. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, probably symbolic. Uh, he kind of got blown up at the beginning of the book. <laughs> yeah. Um, how would you say the detailing on the main character affects you in the genres that you have. Like what I choose to do? Yeah. I generally tend to not do a whole lot of describing anytime um, and focus more on the impressions things about people give as opposed to the actual details but it varies depending on the story and whether it's necessary to talk about different things now used to when i first started writing i went into too much detail and it kind of that you know that kind of overwhelmed the writing you know, it was me trying to think of all these different ways to describe all this stuff. And, I don't know, I just... I've certainly read a lot of classics where they do that thing, where they give you all these, you know, details about... And, and some of it's kind of funny, you know, the way they describe sometimes different things about people. And... What was it? Was it a tale of two cities where he was talking about the smooth forehead on the on the woman? I guess that's supposed to be symbolic, you know, of how you know youthful and carefree she is or something. But and you know, often they're talking about people's people often describe people's noses. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I just <laughs> I don't I don't really go into all that. I will say that the level of description that's accepted in writing has changed immensely over the years. And I don't think I could ever bring myself to write a book where I need to like describe everything. Which brings me to wonder how that one person, or that, I believe it was a lady, I can't remember exactly. I hope nobody that listens to this quotes me on this. But whoever wrote Fifty Shades of Grey, I give them props for how much description they had to do. I haven't read it, so I don't know how, what all they, they went into. It's it's a smut novel series is the best way I can describe it. Well, I mean, I, I know what it is and, <laughs> and, and know about some of the stuff that's in it that didn't appeal. So I didn't know. <laughs> uh... <laughs> So, I, 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 don't, I don't know how much detail she went into with it. I mean, it's just like, uh, it's like the idea of having to, like, describe the bodies and how it feels to touch each other. Mm. Like, that's a, that's a very intimate subject for me to be able to get into, and I'm just like, I could not do it. <laughs> I was considering that. I don't when I was with some of my some of my recent writing I was considering that and I don't know how that compares or what other what impressions people will get from that I mean you know, I was considering you know different different sensual aspects of it and what kind of details to go into with that a lot of it it's emotional though more than and I think I think the reason why I do that with my characters and in all of my writing 
with not going into a great deal of detail is because it could kind of be like an atmosphere or a brand or whatever because that's my it's kind of my mindset you know it's like that's not so much the important thing you know so in my writing it's kind of reflected in the fact that I don't discuss that kind of stuff that much you know it is more about what it says about somebody Uh, I mean like if you are talking about like whether a character is supposed to be attractive or whatnot, whether or not they seem, their personality is this reflected in their face, is more important than what it actually looks like. Yeah, and I think, I think the more like a lot of my writing reflects like the mental health of my characters and I've never put a lot of value on a person's physical appearance unless it greatly affects the story Mm -hmm. yeah I don't I I don't want to put anything in there that I don't feel like is necessary for some reason I mean you know other people might read it and go I don't think that's necessary (laughs) but I, you know, I feel like it is, or I, I wouldn't be putting it in there. Particularly um, things that are risky or, or, you know, like, I made a choice to take something out of the short story collection that was the the Christian Bible, the Bible short story collection, The Breaking. Yeah. Uh, have a story in there where there was just a brief moment that included some teen smoking because, and I basically just added it in there because I wanted him to be doing something during the scene. It didn't have any other, you know, it's, it's just an atmospheric thing. You know, I, I wanted to have something like that happening in the scene. So I put it in there and I got to thinking about it and I'm like, it's not the most controversial thing in the book by far, but it's it's unnecessary. I just put it in there because I was trying to think of something for him to be doing at that moment, so I took it out. But there's other stuff that I left in there because, well, it's either the whole plot of the story or it's very important to the story. I've, I will say that I've touched on some definite controversial stuff. Yeah. And... And I can say that I've like, how do I put it? I've seen a long list of types of controversial stuff. And I think if somebody has an issue with a teen smoking, they've obviously not read a lot of psychological horror novels or seen a lot of horror movies. Yeah. Well, uh, there's no telling. You know what I'll what okay. I'll probably is in, and like I said, and I would certainly do it if it had a point. You know, if it was important to the story. Um, like, I've got a in my second edition of my first novel because I went back and done some edits and stuff for the second editions for my novels because I'm coming up on my one year anniversary in July it's I'm putting a trigger warning at the beginning of my first novella because although I don't think the trigger warning should be needed it's just that everybody's so soft here lately that I'm just like if I put this here I am saving my own butt (laughs) well if there's any doubt about it it's probably safer to do it than not I don't normally write the kind of stuff that I think it would be necessary. Um, but, I mean, I, somebody might would say that some things might need it, and I would consider putting it on there, but I, I haven't actually put a trigger warning on anything yet. The closest thing is there's a... In, in the breaking, there's... I guess it's not too spoilery to say it. Um, it, One of the stories touches on police brutality. 
And I definitely mention that in tags and descriptions and whatnot. Um, because I, well, I want people to know what's in there, either because it, it could make them not want to read it or they could be interested in what I have to say about it because I hope that it's going to end in a way that will actually make people feel better in the sense that I think it will be a cathartic ending to it. And I talked about it very uh, lightly. In fact, some people might say too lightly. Um, so I don't think that actually needs a trigger warning. You know. I'm, I'm one of those people, I'm kind of like, I don't want to put it there until somebody forces my hand because I personally don't think that it should be an issue if it's a work of fiction, but people read tags and warnings and stuff like that. Like people read instructions for how to put something together. They just kind of throw it to the side and just say, I, I don't need to read it. It'll be okay. And I look at it the same way I look at it for video games is if I've written this book and in the description it says it's rated for this specific age group and it has this type of content in it, like I've put all of the tags and stuff that I would need to do to, for my personal safety, keep it as far away from people that want family-friendly stuff and stuff for younger people, I'm just kind of like, if you go out and you buy a video game that's rated for older people, like mature people and stuff like that, and you don't want something like that in your house, you need to read the descriptions and stuff that are below it. Mm. But we live in one of those pe places where even people like me and you that are in the creative side of a business have to kind of figure out every way possible to protect ourselves without affecting our products well I appreciate um, trigger warnings myself I mean it can if I know that something is going to be in there then I can it can impact it when I read it as far as you know I was expecting this to be worse than it was you know, sometimes that happens. It's like they warned me about it. It's like, okay, well, this wasn't as bad as I was thinking it was going to be. Or, you know, I, I can because I was anticipating it, you know. But I appreciate them because there are some things that I can have a pretty strong reaction to that, you know, it's not because it's mature content. It's because of the individual thing. And... I guess you could say it's triggery. Um, uh, yeah, it can have a lingering effect. Um, you know, be, being upset after having read it and not just like, oh man, you know, this was scary. Um, so it's like, I would rather know if something like that was going to be in there ahead of time than not because the potential downsides of knowing that something's going to be in there are not as bad, you know, they're not as important as me being able to say ahead of time that I either don't want to read a book or at least because I am anticipating it, I can see that it's coming and possibly skip that part if I feel like I need to. You know, I often, I can, I can get upset about things and uh, I'll start reading it or watching it and see how upsetting it's going to be. You know, it's like because... If it doesn't go into a great deal of detail, it'll probably be okay. You know, but I can know ahead of time that I need to be on guard instead of just, you know, sometimes when you're reading, you don't know something's happening. You're just sitting there, dee, 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 and all of a sudden, boom, here's the scene on you. And, you know, depending on how upset somebody's going to get about that, they should be warned ahead of time that they could be picking up something that's like that. I think somebody, 
somebody asked on Twitter one time about a long time ago now, but they said they had something. They were writing a romance story that had some kind of dark element to it mixed in with it. I can't remember now what the details were. But that was what I said in response to it, what I'm getting ready to say now, is you can also lead people into something. You know, instead of just, you know, you kind of give hints along the way that something like that is going to happen instead of just dropping it on them. Or that, or put it in the description, you know, that, okay, this is going to, you know, include some dark themes or in case people are reading it, you know, expecting, you know, to be all light. Just, you know, like, like they were talking about a romance story, you know, if you, if you're just looking at it, like, I just want to feel, you know, the romantic aspect of it, then you're not going to want to read a book that maybe mixes positive stuff with negative stuff. That, you know, that may not be where you want to go and you'd like to be warned ahead of time that that's what you're going to be picking up. I think that's what happened to me is I went back and I reread it and I was like, the trigger warning might fit in this book. But I also put in the description that it is, because it's a horror novel, but in the description I put in the yeah, I put in the description, I was like, this is a depiction of events during, like, a wartime era in a country, yada, yada. Like, it's going to, in the description, I describe it as something that's going to have visceral and shocking events mm-hmm. that take place. Yeah, so unless you added something in that was not characteristic of that, then people would know, okay... If something that falls into that category that upsets me or could be triggering is, you know, I'm likely to run into that here. Because I put it, the category is I put it under tag-wise on Amazon is I put it under the war area and I put it under the horror area, post-apocalypse, that, that type of stuff to where I can try to refrain it and restrain it down to the audience that it's meant for. Because mm-hmm. it's from the point of view of a soldier, and the shocking part is he gets taken to a POW camp, and it's those, it's like those two chapters, are what I'm going to go back and put a trigger warning for in the second edition of the book. Yeah, somebody might need to know ahead of time about a, you know a POW situation because that could trigger a whole lot of people. (laughs) It could be triggering, and it could be something that you may or may not would necessarily know was going to be in there just because you were talking about a military story. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm... I kind of, like... I came to terms with my writing style, and I went back to reread the stuff that I was like, and I'm like... I need to put something at the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like one of those things where I did it and then I went back to look at it and I'm like, what the heck was I thinking without putting this there? Like I said, I, I definitely had debate. And I guess that technically, like I said, it's in, the, it's in the tags. And I do mention it sometimes. So I guess that's kind of like a soft trigger warning type of thing about the about the police brutality. I, I didn't, I guess I was kind of nervous about it because I didn't necessarily intend to write that. I was writing a story about somebody who was supposed to be, you know, good with, you know, with like a trademark, you know, this is a good person that they go bad. And the way I'd set up their life, I didn't have, I couldn't think what kind of real life job they would have as being a police officer. Yeah. You know, the way I'd set them up. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to have to go there. <laughs> Uh, because you know, that's what I've set up for myself is, um, you know, this good person is going to go bad and that's the, you know, big talking point there. So that's what I did. And like I said, I hope that it's actually a positive experience for somebody reading it because of the way it ends up ending. But 
you don't know how people are going to respond to things or what kind of emotional impact things can have. Anyway, like I said, it's so light um, that it probably wouldn't be a problem. I'm, like I said, I know that's how it goes for me is the detail. You know, something just being mentioned or being brief, the, the, the length of time it goes on or how much detail there is to it. Or it could be individual details. Sometimes it can be like that. But like, I've read Boys from Brazil uh, in recent years. And, you know, it's, it's got some violent stuff in it. And there was one scene in there that is really bad. But for some reason, <laughs> the way that I, you know, it's how much the detail gets absorbed into your brain. You know, it's like whether it you're just absorbing it from a technological viewpoint or whether it's it's actually it actually hits you on an emotional level. And I don't there's a lot of factors that can go into why that happens that I don't even really know what they all are. Um, I was very glad <laughs> that um, that it worked out that way in that particular instance, because like I said, what he was describing was really bad. <laughs> but somehow I managed to not be upset emotionally you know in that kind of way you know the lingering kind of you know really being negatively impacted by having heard something or seen something yeah and I think the I heard somewhere it's like uh, they said if your body has a natural response to a form of art then that person that had how did they put it the person that created that piece of art if they get a physical reaction out of you proves that they knew what they were doing well yeah that that does make sense uh, I think it's the brain is so complicated that you know there could be a variety of reasons why that would or would not happen um but I, you know you you would want to impact somebody with you you know with your writing so i mean the, the more emotional impact they had unless it's kind of like flow in writing you know some things you wouldn't necessarily want every scene in your story to be the same amount of emotionally impactful. Something uh, pretty mundane. <laughs> mundane, or just to kind of grace somebody, or to be mysterious, or you know, there's a variety of things that you could potentially want to do with different scenes. Um, you know, weighing out what kind of emotion you want to inspire and how important it is. Various different factors like that. And, and the individual reader. You know, how they interpret things. Um, some, some things, you know, it might really be... Somebody might really absorb it or it might really be emotionally impactful to them and it not be to other people. Or, you know, and it can happen... Like, I could read Boys from Brazil again and read that exact same scene. And be really disturbed by it next time because I noticed things I didn't notice the time before. Or I'm in a different mood. Or it could be it could be the other way around. You know, you could watch something or read something and it be really you know, have a real strong impact on you, and then you read it or watch it another time and it's like you know, I'm okay with it. It's weird. Emotions are weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> but just, you know, for me, I would rather the, the negative draw points in my viewpoint of of adding a trigger warning are not as great as the benefit to giving people the choice to like I said, maybe to not read it or at least to not, to be prepared that something is coming so they can decide if they want to read that scene or how much of that scene they want to read. Because if somebody added a trigger warning to something, it's probably going to be detailed, you know, as opposed to just a brief mention. 
Now, for me, I had in the... The way I would set up the trigger warning is, like, to be like, you can read this, but if you read this, I am not liable for how you react or feel to it. Because this warning is here, and this warning is your choice to read it or not to read it. Somebody could look at it that way. I hadn't thought of it. Yeah, if you're looking at it strictly from a from a legal standpoint or a you know saving your own butt kind of viewpoint, that yeah, it's it's kind of like an enter at your own risk sign. Yeah. Now to wrap up this little podcast chat that we're having, do you have any websites or any books you would like to? lift to the people that re- that will be listening. I, I I don't know. I can't think of anything. I mean I've got my four my four books up there. And those are all on Amazon, right? They're on Amazon and Smashwords. I actually published on Smashwords first and then I decided that you know Expand an audience. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I just decided that I thought I need to add that on, and so I did. And so now people have options. You know, just Smashwords. People can buy from that one place and read on, as far as I know, any kind of e-reading device, including just their browser. Got a HTML version, which isn't very sophisticated, but if you don't have any reader, then you can just read it on your browser, which is actually how I found out about Smashwords in the first place. Um, I asked somebody if I could read their book, and I didn't have an e-reader at the time. Um, so like I said, that's how I found out about it. It also gives the author, they get greater royalties from there than they do on Amazon. But, you know, oh, Amazon is, of course, yeah, um, it's, Amazon, of course, easier. Everybody uses it, and you can do paperbacks, and you can't do paperbacks on Smashwords. So you know they both offer, they both have advantages. Yeah, my friend told me about a site where I can publish to get hardback novels printed. Also, I can't remember the site right offhand, but I can I can send it to you afterwards. <laughs> okay. And I would like to thank you for coming on to this podcast. It has been a very, how would I put it, not pleasing, but an amazing experience. Oh, good. <laughs> I had to go in there for a second. Yeah, I've enjoyed having this conversation. It's been very interesting. And I would like to thank everybody that has listened thus far and anybody that listens in the future. Go find her books on both Smashwords and Amazon. Do you have a certain way that they can put it in to find all of your books at one time? You're supposed to be able to do that on Goodreads. I hope it's I hope it's set up correctly now. I'm thinking about making like landing pages on my website to help people do that. Um, I've been cons- I've been toying with that idea for a while. And where can they find your website at? It's at the top of my Twitter page. It's called The Other Side of the Pain. There you go, guys. Go look for her books. Go purchase her books, or I will come to your house, and I will take all of the soda tabs off your cans. (laughs) I hope you all have a good night. Once again, thank you for coming on this podcast. Everybody, stay wonderful. Okay. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast.